I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we continue in our series, Get Unrealistic. Uh, anybody unrealistic yet? Amen. Amen. I see one or two unrealistic folk in the building. We're going to continue with our declaration uh, that we make each and every week. And they're going to put that on the screen and we're going to repeat that together. Today, I recognize that my faith is greater than my reality. I refute the ordinary because I was created for the extraordinary. I will not allow what I see to determine what I believe. What I believe will determine what I see. I will pray unrealistic prayers, embrace unrealistic vision, begin unrealistic pursuit, and maintain unrealistic expectations. I will live by faith and not feelings. I will live by faith and not facts. I will live by faith and not common sense. Faith won't allow me to be realistic, afraid, comfortable, or limited. I am proud to say that I am unapologetically unrealistic. Turn to your neighbor, give him a fist bump, and just say, get unreal, get unreal. Amen. Turn to the other neighbor and say, don't be too realistic. Amen, amen. I want to invite you, friends of mine, while you're standing today, to go with me two places in the scripture. I want to begin at Isaiah chapter 55, and we're going to begin together at verse number 8. And then I want you to, while you're turning, put your finger over in 2 Kings chapter 5. We're beginning today at Isaiah chapter 55, and we're looking together at verse number 8. When you get there, just say amen. Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 8. And also, we just ask that you pray for our students. This is their last Sabbath here with us in school. In fact, they are having a separate student service over in the skating ring today uh, before they depart in celebration of their seniors under the direction of the Office of Spiritual Life. So keep all of our students in your prayers today, as many of them will be transitioned and a number will be graduating as well. Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. When you get there, just say, Pastor, I'm here. The Bible says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, that's just a framework, but go ahead and turn quickly over to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll begin together at verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 5, and verse number 1, when you get there, just say amen. 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to begin together at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, that he was great, an honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back, a capt- brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus 
uh, said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man sends a man to, uh, to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent the king to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abna and Pharpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. But I want to read emphasis, verse 13, the Bible says, and his serpent came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says unto you, wash and be clean? Today, saints, I want to talk to you under the subject. In fact, it is a question. And the question for us to consider, those in the building and those at home, is your preference greater than your faith? Is your preference greater than your faith? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the visitation of the Spirit that is present. But Lord, I am praying that you would multiply yourself in this space. Lord, I'm praying that in the hearing of the word that faith would be multiplied exponentially. And Father, there are times where we are waiting on you to do something. But sometimes in our humanity, we try to dictate the way it needs to be done. So Lord, would you help us to humble ourselves, to be still and wait upon you? So Father, would you once again hide me in the shadows of the cross, that Jesus alone might be seen, that Christ alone would be heard, 
And at the end of our time together, may Jesus alone be praised. Rain down upon us, we ask, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Let them that believe say together, amen and amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Again, for those online, be an electronic evangelist, an Apple apostle, like and share this word for those who are with us online. Again, the question is, is your preference greater than your faith? Today, saints, I want to talk to you about the danger of establishing a preference that's too rigid. And I want to be clear that I don't think there's anything wrong with having a preference. In fact, all of us have a preference about something, myself included. Um, I have preferences about things. Um, you know, I'm one of those people where, you know, I have a preference for Chipotle above Taco Bell. My Caribbean friends, I have a preference for grits over cream of wheat. When it comes down to ball, I have a preference for LeBron over Kobe or Michael Jordan. <laughs> when it comes down to devices, I have a preference for Apple above Android or PC devices. And like we said, having a preference doesn't make you right or wrong. It's not evil or bad. But when it comes down to faith, sometimes your preference can make you limited. You see, the word preference is defined as to prefer one thing or the other. But often what we prefer is based upon something we've already experienced in the past. In fact, if we were to break up the word preference into two parts, it would read like this, pre-reference. So that sometimes what we prefer is simply a reference to something we've experienced in the past. So that sometimes what we want in the future is a reference to something that's already happened on yesterday. And sometimes our hopes for tomorrow are based upon our experiences from a dead yesterday. And herein lies the conflict because often we're praying for God to do a new thing, but we're often loyal to our familiar thing. And so you have a preference for a certain type of man. But that preference is based upon a relationship that ended a long time ago. You have a preference for a certain type of woman, but that preference is based upon the woman that broke your heart. In fact, some of us have a preference that's attached to dysfunction. Some of us have a preference for a certain type of house, but it's based upon a house that we've already seen. We have a preference for a type of car, but it's based upon a car that we've already had to drive. And see, we're talking about having unrealistic faith, but I need you to know that you can't have an unrealistic experience if your loyalty is to your previous experience. You see, how many of us know that faith is open-minded? 
state that faith is somewhat experimental. I love what Ephesians 3.20 says. It says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. But the problem with your preference, it is based upon what you can already imagine and it's based upon how you already do think. And how many of us understand that I'm at a place where I'm done referencing my past experiences in order to form an expectation about my future experience? Is there anybody that knows that what God has planned for you is greater than the highest plans you've ever created for yourself? In other words, I need you to get that limited faith is loyal to your preference, but unrealistic faith says, Lord, I have my preference, but I'm willing to let you override it. In other words, faith says, I, my preference is to have it now, but I'm willing, Lord, to wait until it comes to pass. Faith lady says, I, my preference is tall, dark, and handsome, but you'll rejoice if God gives you short, smart, and anointed. You may have a preference for a particular career, but faith says, I'll obey the calling you place on my life. See, how many of us know that too often we want a copied experience, but God wants to give you a custom experience? Oh, okay, let me say it this way. See, I need you to understand, church, that when it comes down to dress, I'm, I'm kind of simple. I'm not very fancy in my dress. But recently, I sat down with a tailor, and he was trying to encourage me about the need to get custom garments. And he says, Pastor, you need to not just buy off the rack because that's just cre created for the general public. You need something that's been customized to your shape. And, and what he did was he took some measurements and I didn't realize he put the tape around my calves and I didn't realize that my right calf is bigger than my left calf. He began to measure my arms and one of my arms is actually longer than the next and then he looked at my shoulders and one of my shoulders tends to hang down and the other one is up and he says when you get something made for somebody else it'll never fit on you like it should but I'm going to customize something for you in a way that it's going to accent your imperfections and it's going to hide your defects. In fact, it won't fit on nobody else because it's been customized just for you. Is there anybody that's in a place? First Kings chapter one, second Kings chapter five, and we're going to look together at verse number one, second Kings chapter five and verse one. When you get back there, let me hear you say amen. The Bible says, now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He also was a mighty man of valor, but he was also a leper. Now see, friends of mine, I need you to get that chapter verse 1 and 2. Those verses are written with a literary intentionality. 
See, I need you to get that the Bible describes Naaman as the, the commander of the Syrian army. The Bible says that he has favor in the eyes of his king. The Bible says that the Lord is with him in battle. The Bible says that he is a man of valor, but the scripture lets us know it's all nullified by the fact that Naaman has been diagnosed with leprosy. In other words, I need you to get that the author creates this literary ascent that is based upon his earthly accomplishments. He is a man of valor. He is a person of war. The Lord is with him, but all of that is nullified by the disease that has taken hold of him. Are you with me today, saints? And see, I need you to know, beloved, that the story of Naaman is literally designed to drive the coveting spirit out of the body of Christ. Now, see, I need us to get that for his time, Naaman was that dude. See, Naaman is the rare person, friends, that has the respect of those that report to him, along with the admiration of the king that he reports to. You see, Naaman is physically imposing. He is intellectually astute. And when it comes down to matters of battle, he is undefeated in his journey. I need you to get that the Bible says that the Lord earned in the field of battle. And understand that Naaman is the desire of most women. He is the envy of most men. And even though he is admired, and even though he has money, and even though he has power it is all negated by the fact that layman has been diagnosed with the disease of leprosy in other words naaman is about to experience a radical shift in his life in other words you realize that everybody wants to be like naaman they want to be close to naaman they want to be down with naaman until the word gets out that this contagious skin disease is crawling across his flesh. And it's crazy because Naaman is one of those people that has everything except his health. And see, Naaman is designed to teach us that, number one, there is nobody that has everything. See, see I need us to understand that, that what makes life fair is that it's unfair to everybody. Do you realize that there is no amount of money that can keep you from criticism? There is no job that can make everyone like you. There is no job that can keep sickness from touching your body. And it's amazing that we look at certain people and we think that we want the things that they have, but everybody wants to be what Naaman is, but they don't want the disease that he carries. But the problem with people that covet is they only covet sections of your life. They only covet portions of someone's life. They only covet slivers of their life. But I need you to know that if you're going to covet somebody's good, you've got to also be willing to entertain their bad as well. You see, sometimes, friends of mine, we covet what a person has become, but we want to avoid the circumstances that made them what they became. 
See, sometimes you've got to realize that you don't know what a person is dealing with. You don't know what type of medicine they have to take. You don't know what the doctor told them last week. You don't know how many tears they've had to cry at night. Everybody looks happily married on their vacation pictures that they post on social media. But you never know what's happening behind closed doors. And see, what Naaman teaches us, friends, is that there is no one that has everything. In other words, the people look at Naaman, they're like, man, I wish I could be like Naaman. Naaman's got money, and he's got career, and he's got status. He's got respect. And it's crazy because Naaman has everything except for his health. And it's crazy because there is somebody that's looking at Naaman uh, with a jealous eye before. But once that leprosy crawls across this body, they get to a place where they say, well, well, I thought I want what he had, but at least I'll thank God for my health. It's crazy because when we look at some of the fallen legends of our time, when you look at the Whitney Houstons or the Michael Jacksons, they had all the money, they had the prestige, they had the power, they had everything but the peace that God uses to rock you to bed every night. It's crazy, I was in the barbershop with some young cats and they were admiring this guy Eric Benet because of all of the women that he has dated. They begin to envy the fact that he dated Mariah Carey and Holly Berry and this girl and that and they thought that his life was something to be aspired to. And I asked them the question, I said maybe the reason he keeps going through all those women is because he hadn't found the right one. See the Bible says he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor with the Lord. And see, what this story is teaching us is that there is nobody that has everything. See, there are some that have everything but their health. There are some that have everything but their peace. There are some that have everything but some friends. There are some that have everything but Jesus. And what I'm saying to the church today is that unrealistic faith is not just believing for something that you don't have, but it's try learning how to celebrate the things that you already have. In other words, I'm not just waiting on something that is not yet. Is there anybody that's learned how to praise God for the present blessings that are already at work in your life? Are y'all hearing me today, saints? See, see, I'm at this place, friends of mine, where my praise doesn't need a praise team. Uh, I'm just at a state, man, and, and my, I, sometimes I wake up and I just say, Lord, I thank you for my health. Listen, I'm in the hospitals enough where I thank God specifically. I say, Lord, I thank you that a machine is not breathing for me. Lord, I thank you that I can go to the bathroom without a catheter. Lord, I thank you that I can feed myself. Lord, I thank you that I can walk around and not be wheeled around. Lord, Lord, I thank you that when I open up my eyes, I can see. Lord, I thank you that when you said amen, I could hear it. Lord, I thank you that when I tell my arm to move, it moves. Lord, I thank you that there is clapping in my hands and movement in my feet and shout of praise in my belly. I thank you that there is no oxygen tank on my arm. It is why the psalmist says, let everything
that has breath. Praise the name of the Lord. Are y'all hearing me today? Oh, Lord. See, sometimes I wake up and I just say, Lord, I thank you for my peace. Is there anybody grateful for the peace that you have? Are anybody thankful for your mental health? Lord, Lord, I thank you that the only voice I hear in my head is the Holy Ghost. Oh, y'all not with me today. Is there anybody thankful that you may have fallen out with some folk, but can you praise him? You got at least one friend. Can you praise him if your parents are still alive? Can you praise him if your wife hadn't left you? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And sometimes I just wake up and say, Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Oh, y'all not with me. Sometimes I just say, Lord, I thank you that I know where my help comes from. Lord, I thank you that I know how to get a prayer through. Lord, I thank you that my sins have been forgiven. Lord, I thank you that my iniquities have been blotted out. Lord, I thank you that I've been numbered with the redeemed. And is there anybody that's going to stop focusing on what you don't have, but count your blessings and celebrate what you do have because you've got a lot to be thankful for. Are you hearing me today, saints? Second thing this story teaches us, saints, is it teaches us to treat everybody you come in contact with with dignity. You know, if they were to develop a cast for the movie of Damon so that the credits rolled at the end of the movie, they would probably have Naaman as the leading man, his wife as the leading woman. They would probably put Elisha and the king of Israel in supporters' role. But way down in the extras, you would have this little servant girl that told Naaman about the prophet. And even though she would be way down in the credits, you realize that this miracle of faith does not happen without her testimony. You see, the Syrians, what would happen is they would go on raids through the land of Israel and Samaria. And what they would do is they would plunder goods and they would also traffic people and they would bring them back and sell them as slaves. And so it stands to reason that this young girl was stripped away from her homeland against her will or her volition and she is auctioned off and sold as a slave in the home to serve uh, Naaman wife. And it's amazing, friends, because in the daily dispatch of her duties, she is in a position to observe some things. As she observes when she goes in with the laundry, as she comes in with the food, in her duties to clean the house, she is able to notice the grief of the woman of her home as Naaman's leprosy can no longer be contained with his armor. It is beginning to crawl down his arms and down his limbs and up and down his neck. And there is an impending sense of death that is upon the house. And see, I need us to understand that I cannot say for certain what the relationship was between Naaman's wife and the little girl. But what scholars suggest is that even though she was a slave, 
And see, what I want to just say really quickly, friends of mine, is the reason you ought to treat everybody well is because you never know who's going to have to help you in your time of need. Now, let me be careful. I'm not saying that you ought to treat people nice so that they can do something for you. But what I am saying, friends of mine, is that life can be so volatile, it can be so unstable that you never know who you're going to have to depend on to help you somewhere down the line. See, the problem with some of us, as soon as we walk across a bridge, we burn it down. Never assuming we're going to have to go back across that bridge. What dictates whom we show deference to. And what I'm saying to us, beloved, is that sometimes it's not the important folk that are going to be the ones to bless you and help you. Am I telling the truth today, saints? See, I need you to understand that like the servant girl, sometimes God puts some anonymous people that you never could have picked out of a lineup to providentially be the one that is going to bless and increase your life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Let me just say to every student in this place, be careful how you treat these gray-haired saints in this room. Because I need you to know that there are some of those that are carrying some liberal checkbooks and they are looking for somebody to bless at the end of each semester and they've got refrigerators good of good, full of good food. Are y'all hearing me today? In other words, when I go to a hotel, I'm not just nice to the manager at the desk. I'm going to show some love to the one that's cleaning the room, the ones that's serving the food, the one that's going to be cleaning near your toothbrush. Come on and act like y'all know what I'm talking about today. In other words, when you go to the hospital, don't just show manners when the doctor moves in. Man, you better be kind to the one that's cleaning the room and bringing your food and the nurse that's taking your blood pressure because those are going to be the ones that determine the quality of your stay. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today, saints? In other words, when you go into the office, don't be just be nice to the boss. You better treat the office manager good because you will never see the boss. If you mistreat the office manager. But the larger point I want to say quickly is this, is that every person has intrinsic value. Every person deserves dignity. Every person deserves respect. Every person deserves a certain amount of love from a child of God. That's why in the book of James, it says that God is no respecter of persons, and neither should we. And let me be clear, when I say I'm not a respecter of persons, I respect your position. But what I'm ultimately saying is I realize that everybody has value. Everybody has love. Everybody needs friendship that I don't show more love to one than the other. Do you realize that Jesus didn't spill more blood on somebody with a PhD than he did for somebody who ain't got no education? And so what I'm saying, if Jesus paid the same price for all, Maybe I ought to show the same respect for all, the same kindness to all, and the same love for all of God's children. Are y'all with me today? So, so go with me quickly to, to verse number three. I, I'm, I'm going to move through this. I'm going to say in a hurry, but that's not true. <laughs> Second Kings chapter five and verse three. When you get there, say amen for me real quick. <laughs> Then she said to her mistress, 
if only my master were with the prophet who is in where? Samaria. For he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a, a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Okay. So this story teaches us some things. Now, again, I said it's not wrong to have a preference. But see, you got to be careful about how you apply that preference. Because if your preference is too strong, it will lead you away from your source. You see, there's a fundamental idea that you've got to digest as we look at the story of the healing of Naaman. And the idea is found in what we read in Isaiah chapter 55, where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. Are y'all hearing me, church? And he says, my ways are above your ways. Now, the reason that's critical, saints, is because God looks at the world from a different vantage point. God is never going to do a thing the way you think it ought to be done. And see, this is why you've got to monitor your preference. Because your preference, if you're not careful, will lead you away from your source. What are you talking about, Pastor? Notice what we just read when we looked at the Scripture. What did the little girl tell Naaman? She says, if you go see the prophet... In Israel, he will heal you of your leprosy. But by the time he dialogues this thing out with the king, he doesn't go and see the man of God. He makes a beeline to see the king of Israel who is so shaken because he has no power to accomplish what has been requested. And, and it's crazy, saints. This is the problem with Naaman is he doesn't want a healing that's spiritual. He wants something a little more transactional. So what do they do? So, so, so they load naming up. This is good, saints. And I don't want to stay here too long, but something just, it just hit me beautifully. So they load naming up with some silver and, and some shekels of gold and, and 10 very sharp Syrian outfits to present as an offering to the king of Israel. Now, now, I need you to know that even the offering that is presented, it reveals the greatness of the love of God. So he sends him silver, and he sends him gold, 
and he sends some outfits and he says, I'm going to bargain with those in order to save Naaman's life. Now, I need you to understand that the king doesn't empty the vault for Naaman. He sends a limited supply for Naaman. So if the king of Israel says, this isn't going to cut it, then Naaman is going to have to feel the rest of the debt himself. Oh, y'all didn't get it. If the offering is not enough, then guess what? Naaman is going to die. Because what the king says is that I can't empty my vault for you. I can't give everything for you. I can only give a limited supply in order to save you. Is there anybody that's thankful that when our king saw a need to save our lives, that he didn't send a limited supply? Oh, but I rejoice today that our king emptied the vault. He didn't leave nothing in savings. He didn't say, I need to keep something for next week. But he gave the best gift to make sure that the ransom would be paid. Is there anybody that's thankful that our king didn't send an offering, but our king became the offering? For he that knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Naaman's king gave a number that could be quantified, but our king paid a price that could not be counted. For we were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And see, and that's why Romans 5 says that if he gave us his son, won't he also give us all things? And that's why faith doesn't begin at your bank account. It begins at the cross because of what he already gave. So if he paid your sin debt, won't he pay your school debt? If he paid your sin price, won't he pay the price on your car? In other words, I don't have to worry about what he's going to give. All I got to do is reflect on what he already gave. And because he emptied the vault, I know that there is no good thing that he will withhold from his children. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? So, Naaman <laughs> and his crew, they roll into the king's palace with military formalism and pageantry. Are you hearing me? And, and this thing has a stately element to it. In one bag, he's got silver, and the other bag, he's got gold, and, and then he's got a bunch of nice outfits. And see, I need you to understand what is happening here. See, see, God told him to go and see the prophet. His source of healing is going to be spiritual. But see, the problem is he wants a healing that is transactional. See, see, Naaman wants to see what he's done is he's referred to the previous experience. See, how this is normally supposed to do is you set up a bargain. He wants to barter for his own life. In other words, he wants to be a part of a transaction. He wants to be a part of the exchange. And it's crazy because, like, they come, 
I mean, the king is glad for the silver. He's turned up about the gold. He's on, he's on fleek with the outfits. I looked that up. <laughs> but he is shocked out of his mind when he reads the requirements. Why? Because he does not have the capacity to do what the king of Syria is requesting him to do. And see, the problem is not with the king's impotence. The problem is that Naaman's preference has led him away from his source. And see, sometimes, friends of mine, our rigid preference will lead us away from the source or the format that God wants to use to bless us. And see, the problem is our preference is for God to do it in a particular way. But sometimes providence demands that God do it in another way. And see, the problem with our preference is that our preference is just based upon our need. But God's process is designed to facilitate your salvation. So some of us are so loyal to our preference that we will forfeit the miracle source. So God has said to somebody, you're going to find your spouse in church, but your preference is to look for them online. God has said to somebody, your calling is this, but your preference is in another career. God has said, my call for you is to gather in person in my name, but your preference has become to stay home and watch on the internet. God has called some of us to come down and be baptized, but your preference is to come down and ask for special prayer. For some of us, our destiny is going to be here at Oakwood University, but your preference is to follow the crowd into a state school. And what the story of Naaman teaches us is that sometimes it's possible to preference your way right outside of the miracle that God has in store for your life. And see, this is a crazy question because people ask me all the time. They say, Pastor, why doesn't God do miracles in the way that he used to do miracles? Why isn't God willing to do supernatural acts anymore? And the question I'm asking for the church, is there a lack of willingness on God's behalf? Or is there a lack of obedience on our behalf? Is the issue that God has closed his hands? Or is the problem that we have closed our ears so that when God says go here to be blessed we go here because it aligns with our preference are you hearing me today saints so the word says here in verse number nine y'all tired church the bible says then Naaman went to the with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and be clean. And watch this. Y'all with me? Stay in the word. The Bible says, listen, please, saints, don't miss it. Naaman became furious and he went away 
And indeed, he said to himself, he said, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand all over the place and heal me of my leprosy. Are not the Abna and Fairpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And watch this, the Bible says, so he turned. No, wait a church at. He turned and went away in rage. No, Naaman, Naaman was about to bounce. Did y'all catch this church? Now, now, the last thing I need you to understand, fourth thing, it's okay to form an expectation that God is going to do it, but you should not try to predict how God is going to do it. Okay, okay. So, I need y'all to get that this whole thing is very bothersome to Naaman. This, this is not how he saw this thing going down. I want to be clear that God, through the prophet Elijah, he does this in a way to drive all the hubris. He does it in a way to drive all the pride he does this in a way to drive all the arrogance out of Naaman because what God is after is not a restoration of body. What God is trying to facilitate is a regeneration of his soul. So this is a whole process of Naaman having to lower himself. So like I said, remember... Your boy Naaman, he, he didn't want a spiritual healing. He wanted a municipal healing. He wanted a civil healing. But everything that's a part of this process requires him to lower himself. So he wanted to interact with the king. But you remember now, Naaman is pagan in his beliefs and he is elitist in his thinking. So understand that he looks on a prophet the same way you and I look on a fortune teller. I think. <laughs> Some of y'all looking like, what you mean? I saw one last week. <laughs> but in order to move from the, the king to going to the prophet, he's got to lower himself. The prophet doesn't come to the royal court. He's got to go to the prophet his house. And again, he's got to lower himself. And when he shows up at the prophet's house, Naaman is used to people coming out and bowing down and kneeling to him. But now Naaman has to climb down off of his exalted steed and physically he has to lower himself. He's used to people coming out and saluting him. Yes, sir, and no, sir. But now he's got to go hat in hand, and he's got to knock on the prophet's door. And understand that the prophet is so disrespectful. He shows no deference for his badges, his citations, his accommodations. He doesn't even go out and talk to him in person. He just sends out a servant to go and tell Naaman, wash in the Jordan seven times and watch this church the word says that he became furious but I need you to think about why he gets so mad 
He doesn't get mad because the prophet said, no. He doesn't get mad because the prophet said, I won't do it. He doesn't get mad because the prophet says, I ain't got nothing for you. See, I would be mad if the prophet said, man, you go somewhere else. I would be in a rage if the prophet said, I can't do nothing for you. I would be mad if the prophet said, come back tomorrow. But the reason Naaman gets upset is simply because he had a preference for how it was going to be done. And the way it was going to be done did not align with his preference. See, Naaman had created this rigid, detailed narrative in his mind about how God was supposed to do this thing. First, he had a primary preference that he was going to go and he was going to engage in a trade and barter, a buy and sell with the king. But when that doesn't happen, he develops a secondary preference that when I get to the prophet's house, he articulates it with his voice that he's going to come out to me. He literally has this scenario in his mind where I'm going to go into the prophet's house. I'm going to sit across from him on his dinner table. I'm going to lavish him with gifts and clothes. We're going to drink a few glasses of wine. I'm going to charm him with some of my war stories. I'm going to impress him with one of my exploits in battle. And once we begin to function like peers, he's going to come out and he's going to wave his hands. He's going to do a little dance. He's going to say a little prayer. And all of a sudden, I'm going to get better. He even then develops a third preference when he says, go wash in the Jordan. He says, listen, Aren't the rivers in Damascus better than the Jordan? And it's crazy the reason he wants those rivers is not just because they're cleaner. I learned that around the rivers are in Damascus, the Abnar and the Fairpah, they literally have gardens that were erected in the image of the foreign gods that Naaman was used to. And what God is setting up, friends, he's setting up a situation where this healing is not going to be a result of his skill. It ain't going to be about his bargaining power. God is not going to do it in a way where Baal or Astoreth can get the glory. God is going to do it in such a way that when Naaman gets his healing, the only thing he'll be able to say is that if it had not been for the Lord who is on my side, there would be nothing I could do. Are y'all hearing me, saints? So God says, I'm not going to let it be with your bargaining. I'm not going to let it be about your gifts. Why? Because the one thing God will never share is his glory. Ooh, where the church at today? See, I need you to understand that God will share everything with mankind except the glory. Oh, where y'all at? He'll share his provision. He'll share his protection. He'll share his spirit. He'll send his son. But the one thing he'll never give is he'll never give the glory to your situation. He'll never give the glory to your skill. He says all the glory has to belong to me. And the reason that God will never share the glory is he wants you to have the testimony of Vashon Mitchell that says I searched all over, couldn't find nobody. Look high and low, still couldn't find nobody. He wants you to say, there's nobody greater. I said, nobody greater. There's nobody greater than him. And the reason he doesn't share the glory is that the glory is a compass 
and a directional sign for salvation. So whoever gets the glory, the assumption is that's the one that saves. So he says, your bargaining can't get the glory or you'll think your bargaining can save you. The, the pools in uh, Damascus can't get the glory or you'll think they saved you. Your garments and your gifts can't get the glory or you'll think they saved you. But God is saying, I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't facilitate your ego. It's not going to allow you to be impressed with yourself. You're not going to be able to pat yourself on the back. But is there anybody that's not have a preference about how God does it? But you want to say like the old song, any way you bless me, Lord, I'll be satisfied. Do I have seven cents? That'll say any way you heal me, I'll be satisfied. Any way you employ me, I'll be satisfied. Any way you get me married, I'll be satisfied. However you save my children, I'll be satisfied. However you send the Holy Ghost, I'll be satisfied. I'm throwing away my preference. I'm balling up my narrative. God, however you do it, I'll be satisfied. And you know, saints, you know why some of us don't get no miracles? It's because we ain't desperate enough. What you mean, Pastor? Like, now, I'm beside myself reading. Like, I've read the story a hundred times. But like, it's just, your boy Naaman, see, if, if the first star of the story was the little girl, the other star of the story was the servant that kept Naaman from walking away. Your boy Naaman was like, I'm out. He just did like this to his miracle. He, he's like, I'm out of here. But thank God for the servant that said, boy, what's wrong with you? You acting like you got another option. You acting like you got another choice. And see, the reason we won't persevere is we still got some other options that have got to be exhausting. You've got some other things that have got to collapse. You've got some other things you're dependent on that have got to fail you. So when they fail, when those friends betray you, when those folks ain't there for you, it is in the faultiness of man that you come to know the faithfulness of God. See, we ain't desperate enough. So that if you only pray five minutes and it don't happen in them five minutes and you go to something, it's because you ain't desperate enough. If you only give a faithful time and offering just that one moment, you, that one month, you ain't desperate enough. Because see, there's some other stuff that's got to fail you so that you learn how to depend on the God who never fails. Listen, I'm done. But see, there's a reason that God can't let Naaman be a part of the process. Because see, I need you to understand, friends of mine, that this is not about the healing of a body. See, all God has got to do is snap his fingers or speak a word and he'll be healed. But God is trying to facilitate something way greater. He's got a condition that he can't heal. He can't buy his way out of it. 
He can't work his way out of it. He can't self-improve his way out of it. It's got to be the work of God alone. Are y'all hearing me, saints? And he's trying to show us something that we got a condition to. No, it ain't on your skin. But it's on the, every portion of the inside of you. And the only way you're going to overcome it, friends of mine, you can't talk your way out of it. You can't work your way out of your condition. You can't give your way out of your condition. It is the work of God alone in your life. So he says, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. And it's crazy because I think when he does this, he literally combines two miracles. So, so think about the Jordan River, what happened there? Remember, God opened up the Jordan. Remember, the Jordan was the last barrier to the promised land. And there was a reason God opened up the Jordan so that God's people would know they have access to the promised land whenever they go there. And so he sends this leper that can't clean himself and can't fix himself and can't improve himself to the Jordan because when he's in the Jordan, it's a reminder that he's got access to the promised land. But remember, on the other side of the Jordan was a city called Jericho. And then they had to march around Jericho seven times. And then they had to go seven times on the seventh day. And on the seventh time, guess what? The walls came tumbling down. So guess what? It didn't happen on the first time or the second time. There was nothing that changed until they went around and they couldn't find rest until they did it the seventh time. So guess what? He's in the water that represents access. But then there's got to be a perseverance because he goes down one time. It's still there. Two times, it's still there. Three times, it's still there. Four times, it's still there. But guess what? As he's watching, he's looking at Jericho. Five times, it's still there. Six times, it's still there. And just like the walls came tumbling down after the seventh time, when he comes up out of the water, the seventh time, all the scales start falling off his arms and all of the scores begin to fall off and he's able to find his rest after the perfect number seven. And God is saying to somebody today that I want you to pass through the waters that let you know you've got access to the promised land. And I want you to start keeping my seventh day Sabbath, which is a reminder that when you rest in me, everything that binds you and holds you and keeps you, it's all going to come tumbling down when you find your rest in him. And so, friends of mine, I need you to understand that there's nothing wrong with having a preference. But see, the question for somebody today, have you gotten to a place where your preference is so rigid that your preference is actually greater than your faith? To where because it's not happening the way you thought it was going to happen, or it's not, do, it's not coming as soon as you thought it was going to come, or because God didn't start the business or help you close on the house or get you married in the way you thought you were gonna it was going to happen. 
you got to get to a place where you recognize, Lord, I, I'm cool. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. And I believe for you to do it, but I'm not going to try to dictate how you do it. And I'm just out of place where I just say, Lord, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. the potter and I am the clay Lord I need you to mold me and shape me after say it again one more time come on you gotta feel it, it says have thine own way Lord have thine own way Lord you are the potter and I am the clay. Please mold me and shape me after. There's another song in there that says, I surrender all. I surrender all. Oh, Because he has done great things. I call this victory over my life because he has done great things. 
has done great things. I will bless his holy want to proclaim the victory this morning open up and sing with us he has done great things together say he has done great things come on stand and proclaim it this morning say he has done he has done great things if you believe it say he has he has done great things bless his whole bless his holy his holy name hallelujah hallelujah the hour is late but I'm hoping that you heard what the Spirit was saying to the church today. How many of us are believing God for something today? Maybe you're praying for the salvation of a child, the restoration of a marriage, the healing of a body, the completion of an education, the fulfillment of a vision. And guess what? You ought to believe God for it with your whole heart. But don't try to pin God in a box into the how he's going to do it. You got to get to a place where your preference is not outweighing your faith. But you just say, Lord, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. You know, there was another reason that Naaman didn't want to go into the Jordan. Because to go into the Jordan, he would have to go out and walk down in front of people. He didn't want people to know he had an issue. He didn't want folk to know he needed help. There was a fear that paralyzed him and tried to restrain him from the one thing that was going to change his life. And some of us, somebody today is about to give deuces to the moment that's going to change your life. Because you don't want to have to come down in front and acknowledge you need a, need a savior. But let me be clear, no matter how many suits and ties and long dresses, you know why we all in here today? We are all here because at some point we recognize we needed a savior. You in good company today. And there is somebody today that like Naaman that needs to be immersed not in the Jordan River, but you need to be taken down in the water of baptism for the remission of your sins. You need to say goodbye to the old life and like Naaman, you need to begin a new life in Jesus Christ. 
and there's somebody today you've been thinking about it for some time you've been contemplating it for a little while but for whatever reason you were nervous you were anxious you were you were concerned with what somebody was gonna have to say but I need you to know that Naaman had to get so desperate that people's opinions what they thought their considerations did not matter to him he was gonna go down even if he had to go all by himself and so today if there's somebody who needs to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ I need you to understand you receive him in your heart but the outward demonstration is you're baptized for the remission of your sins and there's somebody today who needs to say I know what I need to do Spirit of God has been moving upon my heart and today you want to receive Jesus so whether you're in the balcony whether you're on the floor you want to say yes to the Lord and Savior just step out of your aisle come on down to the front give me your hand and give Jesus your heart there is somebody today that like the song says you want to surrender all like, like the song says, you want to give your whole self to Jesus Christ. So as the Spirit of God is moving heavily upon you, I invite you into open fellowship with the Savior. Just tell your neighbor, excuse me, come on down to the front, give me your hand, give Jesus your heart today. I need you to know this is your day. This is your hour. This is your moment. The doors of the church is open. Come on in. God bless you, brothers. Praise God. Welcome to his family. Welcome to his house. You belong here. You belong here. God bless you, my friend. Hallelujah. God bless you, my friend. God bless you, my brother. Yeah, yeah, you've been coming for a little while. God bless you, my friend. Is there somebody else today? You want to say yes to Jesus Christ for the remission of sins? You want to say, I want to join the family of God. I want to be numbered with the righteous. And so in just these next few moments, you want to say yes to the Lord. Whether you're in the balcony, you're a student, this last Sabbath of the new year, whether you're on the floor, maybe you're a little child and you've been wanting to be baptized. God bless you, mom and son. Thank you for coming down. God bless you today. Is there somebody else today that wants to make a decision to follow after Jesus? Great decision, little man. God bless you. Is there somebody else? Maybe you're eight, maybe you're 10, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're a young adult. Maybe you got some gray, maybe you got some bald, but you know what you need to do. And if this is the day you want to begin your journey with Jesus, it's okay to come out in the open. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And Jesus wants to confess you. He wants to take ownership of you as soon as you have the courage to step out and lay, take ownership of him. So today if you're here, I want to pray, I want to close, but I just want to give one last person, one last family, one last group, an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. God bless you. God bless you. I see you coming. God bless you. Putting our hands together, encouraging, cheering you on to Jesus Christ. God bless you. Great decisions, little ones. God bless you. Way to go, mom. God bless you, little man. Best decision you will ever make. Thank you, buddy. God bless you, little lady. Is there somebody else today? You want to give Jesus your heart? You want to say yes to his will, yes to his way, yes to his direction. We're going to close in just a moment. We just want to give one last person, one last individual, one last family this opportunity to say yes. I want you to know, friends of mine, the resistance you feel. That, that something in you that's pressing you. I need you to know that is an invisible resistance that is from your enemy. He fears the decision you're about to make. He knows if you ever get free, 
that you, he will not be able to hold you in permanence. But God woke me up early this morning to begin mighty intercession that the chains would fall off, that the bands of iniquity would be loose, and that you would become God's freed man or freed woman today. So today in Jesus' name, you are released, you're free, just walk in it today. Wherever you are, man, woman, boy, girl, and even as I'm praying this prayer, you can still come. The doors of the church are open. Why don't you come on in? Right now we're praying. Father in heaven, our prayer is simply this. Have thine own way. Have thine own way. We recognize that you are the potter and we are the clay. Lord, some of your people have some unrealistic faith. They are trusting you for big things that are beyond human imagination. But what we're simply covenanting to do today is to just take on a posture of flexibility that says, Lord, we're not going to try to dictate the terms. We're not going to try to dictate the timing. We're not going to try to dictate the context. We're simply going to function in obedience and in willingness and however you do it, Lord, we'll be satisfied. So Lord, we, we throw out our preference. Lord, we remove our narrative from the equation and we just give you permission to move. Lord, we just surrender all. We yield it all over to you. Do what you must, do what you will. Most, most importantly, Lord, do what's best. So Lord, bless us to this end. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Let those that believe shout amen and hallelujah today. To those who came down, God bless you. Just follow Sister Perry out. She's gonna give you some direction, wants to give you some information about the next step of your discipleship. Mom, you wanna come with her? Um, let's put our hands together for all of those who came down to say yes to Jesus Christ today. God bless you. And then we want to encourage those of you who are watching online. Listen, listen, if you wanted to make a decision online, you can email us uh, at info, uh, info at ouc.org. And then we want to encourage you after the benediction, stay by in the Praise Cafe. Some important announcements about what's coming going on this afternoon for our children, uh, this evening, and some things that are coming up in the coming weeks. So make sure you stay on important information we want to share with you. God bless you. Amen, amen. Let us give Pastor Snell a hand clap of praise for that wonderful word today. Has everyone been blessed today by the word of God? Amen. Let us all stand up on our feet and receive the benediction today. God, our Father, Lord, we say thank you. We thank you, O oh God, for what our eyes have seen and what our ears have heard. So, O oh God, as we leave this place, help us, O oh God, never to leave your presence. O oh God, we're asking that the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide within us. In our going out and in our coming in, oh God, Lord, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to guide us throughout the rest of this day. God, we're asking that you will keep us safe 
from any hurt, harm, or danger. And we will be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. So God, we ask that you will shine your face upon us. Give us peace, O oh God. And this is our prayer, this is our goal, and this is our aim. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. You may be seated now for a moment of meditation. <laughs> 